Welcome to REI Spotlight with your host, David Schwan, and today's guest is Tim Bratz with Commercial Empire. Welcome to the show, Tim. David, excited to be here, man. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you for taking the time out of your day to be here. Um, give my listeners a little bit of your background and how you got into real estate. Yeah, man. Um, well, I'm, I'm 34 years old today, as we sit here and awesome. um, got started when I was going through college, you know, in 03 to 07, everybody's making money in real estate. I was a money motivated kid back then and wanted to get involved in real estate. And so I graduated from college, moved, I'm from Cleveland, Ohio, originally moved out to New York city where my brother was living at the time. And I got a real estate license. Uh, I think a lot of people don't really know about real estate. They go and get the <laughs> license and they think that's the, how you get started. Right. Yeah. And so that's, that's what I did. In. And, uh, and I got into commercial real estate. So I was, I was, brokering leases for retail and, and office tenants. Um, took me about eight months to close my first lease transaction. Um, and when I did, I was in Manhattan, right? And in, in Greenwich Village, I closed a 400 square foot lease for $10,000 a month with 4% annual escalations and a 12 year lease term. And you do the math on that, you're like, you know what, this landlord's gonna make about 1.8, 1.9 million dollars over the next, uh, 12 years for doing something at one point in time. You know what? I think I'm on the wrong side of the coin. I, need to be, yeah. I think I need to own real estate instead of broker real estate, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, wait a second. I'm on the wrong side of the counter here. This isn't, yeah, it's, not, it's not quite as rosy where I'm sitting. Right. And, and I think a lot of people get involved in real estate investing because of that residual income, because of the passive income, that mailbox money that, that, that allures all of us to real estate. And then we all get stuck in this transactional rat race, right? The hamster yes. wheel of flipping houses and wholesaling houses or brokering houses or uh, just doing that whole transactional type thing and trading our time for money. Yeah, it's, it's good money, but at the end of the day, you just have a high paying job. And um, I found myself in that, in that same situation. I moved down to Charleston, South Carolina, um, found my first investment property in 2009. So about uh, 10 and a half years ago, bought my first investment property, uh, bought it, fixed it up, did all the work physically on it myself, knocked on doors to hold an open house and invite some neighbors over. And uh, in the worst housing economy in in 100 years and um, never doing a deal and being a punk 23-year-old kid right, <laughs> without any resources, I was able to buy this thing on my credit card, fix it all up. And then I sold it. And I made $14,000 inside 75 days. And I'm like, man, wow. this I'm is hooked, nice. right? How, how do I do it again? I've never, I've never made that much money before. And so you do it again, do it again. I'm still kept on doing the transactional stuff. But then eventually I met some people who had money, but didn't have maybe the time or the bandwidth or the expertise on going mm -hmm. and doing deals. And so they put up the money, I did the work and we were able to figure out a way to, you know, split it all up and, and make it make sense and um, continue to build a portfolio that way, had uh, uh, built up about 150 rental units at, at an exclusive partnership with a couple of guys that ended up uh, kind of breaking up. We decided to dissolve everything in like 2015, 2016. And I just been doing my own thing for the past about four years or so. Um, built up a team. We were flipping houses. Uh, we're doing 80 to hundred flips per year, open a big management company back in Cleveland, Ohio now. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, over the course of the past four years, I was investing in some apartment buildings early on, had a few hundred units a couple of years ago and just sat back on a vacation one time and looked at my net worth and looked at where I was spending my time and my long-term goals and realized 90% 
of my net worth came from my apartments, but it was 10% of my time. And I thought, what if I pivoted my entire like flipping and, and resale team to only looking for apartment buildings and yeah, it, it, man, made, 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 made that pivot of wait, wait a second, wait, I'm spending too much time over here. This is, you, you, you know, you, you had a 90, 10, but you know, it's that typical, uh, you know, or that, that, uh, 80, 20, rule, right? you know, that 80, 20 rule of yeah. like, Oh, wait a second. I'm spending way too much time on this 90. And if I take that 10% and I just focus on that 10%, it's like, Wow, imagine where I can get if I do that. And it's amazing when you draw a line in the sand and you say, hey, I'm burning the ships, right? We're either going to succeed or we're going to die trying. It's incredible how the, the universe responds, right? The next deal that comes across our desk is an 11-unit apartment building. And it was a little bit too much work for what we wanted to do and put into it. We wholesaled it and made $87,000 in a wholesale assignment fee. That's um, nice. <laughs> and gave us enough cash then to kind of, you know, sit back and cover overhead and just focus on buying more apartments. And then we found a 20 unit. And then we found an 11 unit. And then we found a, a 24 unit. And then we flipped an 18 unit. And then all of a sudden I bought a 44 unit. And I just kept on growing and growing and growing. And I took a few hundred units and turned it into today. I have 3,200 units as I'm sitting here talking to you today. And I have another one, another six, 700 under contract right now, closing all before the end of the year. Awesome. Uh, so I'll be, awesome. I'll be so, just shy of uh, 4,000 units in just over four years of, of uh, focusing on my portfolio. So I've, I, now, you know, I shoveled crap and I went through all the heartache and all those <laughs> things earlier on. And then I had everything went away uh, just because of the, of the partnership dissolution. And I've been able to then rebuild it, which, which is a testament to once you have it up here in your mind and you know how to do this stuff, like it, it, there's a lot of confidence that comes with it of knowing that you can go do it again if you ever lose everything, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, that's the whole thing is, is you know, that's that's the one piece that you can't lose is your education or, you know, typically, I mean, there's ways you can do that. But typically, it's like, look, if you've learned this and you understand the basics and you understand the fundamentals and you get it, and once you get that experience, it's like, look, even if, you know, God forbid something you know, not great happens. And it's like a partnership, it dissolves, you know, and that all goes away. But then you, you turn around and you go, well, I wouldn't trade that because that gave me the knowledge to be able to, that gave me the base and the foundation to be able to reload and then just go, you, you know, just go at it and just attack it and, you know, keep going. And, and, uh, you know, we were talking beforehand, you know, it, it, it's that, uh, you know, those, those, those seeds have been sown. So you were mm -hmm. able to, to reap it and you'd learned how to sow, you know, that was, that was the real key that you learned on, on that first partnership was you learned how to sow, you learned how to plant and figure out what you wanted to grow. And then you were able to teach your team and then your team was able to start going out and, you know, bringing these fruits in. So yeah, yeah, that, you, you know, it, it doesn't, that, you know, uh, I used to work for a company. They had a big fire and they had this, this statue of a Phoenix coming up out of the fire that they built from, you know, parts of the building that had been burnt, you know, but it's like that whole Phoenix thing, you know, it's like, look, just because something is burnt down and, and, and it doesn't, you know, and it's like, look, you rise up stronger out of it and then you just grow and you start hitting it harder again. Yeah. hundred percent. And you know, I, I think a lot of times 
well, in other businesses, at least, it's hard to have that confidence that it's going to succeed, right? But in real estate, real estate's been around for a long time, you know, since the, <laughs> yep. the, the beginning of civilization, you know, wealth has been measured in land ownership. Whoever had the nicest cave usually was the leader of the group, right? And so, since like, like everybody knows, and, and at least I did, like it was, it was never, am I taking a risk here? I knew eventually it would work. I just knew, I just didn't know the timeline, right? Yeah, and I yeah. knew that if I just kept my head down, I kept working, eventually it would pay off. And I think a lot of people just, dude, they walk into a house or they walk into an apartment and guess what? There's roaches falling on your head. It's not fun, right? You walk out of the apartment, there's fleas all up your jeans. You uh, uh, have phone calls from tenants in the middle of the night because you're managing the properties yourself and you got pipes freezing in Cleveland, Ohio, and it's negative 20 degrees on a Saturday night. And like, I just had a newborn baby and I'm leaving, going to 24 hour Walmart to go and get space heaters for all the time. Like I've been through all that stuff. I've done all of it. And there were a lot of times I was like, why am I doing this nonsense? Right. But I knew that long-term the harvest was going to be worth right? All the work that you have to put in. And yeah. the reality is like the harvest will come, right? There will be a harvest. And it, but if you don't plant seeds, I can guarantee you will not there's have no, there, Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there, there's no harvest. And, and like you said, it's, it's real estate. It may, you, you know, it, it's like, look, there is, there is no, no seed out there that you can plant that is 100% guaranteed to be 100% drought, drought resistant. Yep. But multifamily real estate, especially the multifamily space, it is very, it has a very high tolerance for drought. And if you've worked the, the deal right on the front side, understand what your market conditions are, understand what the environment is that you're in, and you build all that stuff in, then you can weather the storm. Even if it is drought, it's still drought resistant. It may, you know, yeah. may, may you get like your three-year return, you know, may it take five years to get your three-year return. Yes, that is a possibility. And as long as you understand that on the front side, it's like, okay. But you know that it's like, look, this is a very, very resilient product that I am taking my time or taking my money, whichever case may be. Whatever you're investing into it, it's like, look, if I'm investing into this, it may, even if I hit tough times, even if I hit hard times, as long as I've done it right, I will eventually see the fruit, the, the fruits of my labor. And like you said, you know, it's sometimes it's, uh, it's not pretty, mm-hmm. but you know, if, if you just, like you said, keep your head down, keep pushing through, you'll get to the pretty part eventually. hundred mm-hmm. percent, man. I agree. hundred percent. I think, I, like, I mean, I adamantly believe that multifamily real estate, especially workforce multifamily real estate, A, B mm-hmm. class areas, not luxury, not C and D class stuff. Some, some C, C plus could be okay, but I buy A and B class workforce housing, rents that range from $600 to maybe $1,200, $1,300 a month, right in that, in that sweet spot, right down the middle of the plate. I don't think there's any asset class that's more insulated than, than that. No, no, no. And, and I agree with you. I think that, you know, this is, this, this is a product as long as this is a product that when your your management and your management becomes really key because if you're putting out a product that is safe and looks decent it doesn't have to look luxury it just has to look decent and your tenants can come home and feel safe in their neighborhood they 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 don't 
you know, they're not worried about the safety of their family. As, as long as they can show up, it looks clean and respectable. They, you're charging a reasonable rent. That those, that those, those assets, and as long as you're treating your tenants the way that they should be treated, you should not ever have a problem mm-hmm. of, of keeping it, keeping it cash flowing because you have, you have tenants that you've taken care of and there's always going to be demand in that, in that sector of look, people have to have a place to live. And when you're in the middle of the road, it, it's, if the economy goes up, okay, your, your tenant base may slide around a little bit, you know, you're, you're, you know, you may get people a, a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit more affluent or a little less affluent, depending on what the economy is doing. But when you're in that sweet spot, that's, you know, that's such a wonderful place to be that when you're in that sweet spot, as long as you're doing what you're supposed to be doing and you're taking care of your tenants, your vacancy will never be an issue on a product like that, you know, just because you're taking care of it and it's going to be in demand. When the market's good, everybody can afford it. When the market pivots, all those luxury runners move into more of an A-class B-class workforce type housing. And uh, to your point, David, I, um, a few years ago when I first started buying apartment buildings, probably five, six years ago, uh, or six, seven years ago when I first started buying apartment buildings, um, I went and, and spoke to the housing court judge at an event that he was speaking at. This guy's like an authority in Cleveland, Ohio. He's been housing court judge for decades and um, been around the block a lot. And uh, he, said, he said something that'll always stick with me. He said, there's two things that eliminate 99% of all landlord issues. One is taking care of your property and two is screening your tenants. If you do those two things, you will eliminate 99% of all landlord tenant problems and, and, and issues. You do those two things, clean, safe, functional, aesthetically pleasing housing like you're talking about, and then just screen your tenants. Don't take out anybody who raises their hand with the first security deposit. You got to make sure you got qualified people in there. You do those two things. It's not a hard business, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and especially like on the screening tenant side, you know, that's, that's, there's a, there's a double reason. That's not just, you're not screening your tenants just for, you know, whether or not you're going to get paid, but, you know, screening the tenant and making sure that you have somebody, you know, you have a, a, a decent tenant in there, you're also helping your other residents out by making sure that they have a good name. I mean, mm-hmm. and that's, that's, that, that goes back to, you know, that screening goes back to making sure that you have all those things of, you know, this is a good neighborhood. This is a quality neighborhood that, uh, that, that I own and people, these residents are proud to be here, you know, that they're happy mm-hmm. to be here. You don't want somebody, you know, the, wor- the worst thing I think as a landlord is, you know, having your tenant, when somebody asks where you live and they, you know, they kind of drop their head to when they say the name of your complex, you know, it's like, right. no, you want, you want your tenants to be able to, when somebody asks where they live, they hold their head up and they go, Hey, this is where I live. And you know, it's like, that is awesome. You know, you want to have that experience. That's another thing. Like you said, you know, that's a big key of why screening is an important feature or important part of your business is to make sure that you have good tenants in place. And it's not just for your own profitability, it's for your other tenants and making sure that this is a safe and a nice place to be, you know, so you're not, you know, you're, you're not letting in the, uh, the, you know, the, the, the drug dealer or, you know, yep. anything like that, you know, the, the nefarious crowd, you know, trying to make sure that you have a, a, a safe and respectable place for your other tenants to live. Absolutely. Um, 
you seem like you've had some uh, very creative ways, especially since you said you, you know, you bought that first duplex, uh, you know, with your credit card. What are some of the other ways that you've had to, in your in your history that you've had to get really creative to get over a an obstacle? <laughs> uh, I mean, there, there's always problems that arise, right? You you know, in business and in life, right? Like I know, I expect to get punched in the gut over and over again. I expect it. When's it coming? I know it's going to come. And it's not about getting punched in the gut. It's about how hard can you get punched in the gut and keep moving forward, right? How, how, yeah. and, and then learning from that to make sure you can dodge and weave those punches in the future, <laughs> Next right? Next time around, yeah. And, and, then, and then every time you get hit, you learn your lesson and you're like, that's not going to happen to me again. It's not, and, and, and the longer you stay in real estate and the more punches you take, the better you get and the easier it is to do big deals, right? To do, to do more deals, to have more profitable deals because nobody can pull the wool over your eyes. And I've taken a lot of hits, man. I've, uh, you know, I'm, I may have only been, I may only be 34 years old and in this business for about 11 years, but the reality is I've done a lot of volume. I built up one of the largest management companies in Cleveland. I was flipping a hundred houses a year. I have, I've, I've owned and flipped and currently hold thousands of apartment units. And I've been around the block many, many, many times. And I can tell you that like, I get hit, I get hit, I get hit. And it happens all the time. One notably was uh, uh, last summer, I was taking out a portfolio of 700 units. I had about, uh, I don't know, around that, maybe a little bit, uh, seven, 800 units early, mm-hmm. early last summer. Um, and this is like going to double my portfolio, right? So taking out on our 700 units down in Georgia. And um, I get a phone call uh, from my joint venture partner down there. He's like, hey man, we need 4 million bucks, blah, blah, blah. I'm sponsoring the loans. I'm helping out with some advisory asset management type stuff. And, and I, was, I was raising the money as well. And so I, uh, I make a phone call to a buddy of mine who just sold his big company and he had invested a couple million bucks with me over the course of the you know, previous four or five months. And I said, Hey man, we got uh, an awesome deal, home run deal coming down the pike. And this is in March of last year and uh, we're closing on it in like May, June, something like that. And uh, I said, Hey man, we need 4 million bucks. Any, you, do you know anybody who, uh, who may be interested in getting involved in this? He goes, hang on a second. This is through a text message. He comes back about 20 minutes later, and he's like, yeah, man, I got it. I said, what do, you, what do you mean you got? He goes, I got money for that deal. I said, how much? He said, four million, right? That's what you need. I was like, yeah, awesome. <laughs> you know? so, so I'm like, hey, we're doing, my, my partners are doing all the due diligence down there. They're lining up the loans all going through. You know, I'm, I'm pretty much, I've done everything my, I had to do. I'm just kind of sitting on my hands, hanging out for the next three months until this thing closes. And uh, we're about a week out. I make a phone call to my buddy. I'm like, hey, man, that, that money needs to hit by like next Friday. Can you wire it over? That way we just know it's there. We can close. He goes, yeah, um, no, no problem. I just, uh, I just don't have it yet. So I was like, what, what do you mean? <laughs> oh, like, no, I'm, I'm planning on raising it next week. I was like, what, what are you talking about? I thought this was your money. He goes, no, you know, I, I, I have this cryptocurrency that, uh, you know, or, I'm going to Africa and I'm raising money through this cryptocurrency and then I'm going to deploy it. And, blah, blah. and I was like, wait a minute. You're, all I heard was you're going to Africa to raise money from some high net worth. <sighs> I, 
I think you just got taken into one of these like Nigerian princes. <laughs> yeah, you know I mean? yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what? What are you talking about? And he's like, No, I'm speaking at the conference on Wednesday. It's Wednesday before Monday closing, right? And so uh, Wednesday comes. I'm like, uh, you know, he's seven, eight hours ahead in Africa somewhere. I'm texting him, saying, Hey, man, how'd it go? You know, did you? I wake <laughs> yeah. up Wednesday morning. It's it's Wednesday evening for him. Did you raise the money? How are we looking? You know, what, what are we doing here? Um, crickets. I didn't hear anything. Thursday. Texting, texting back and forth, sending him emails, text messages, calling him, voice over IP calling him, WhatsApp messages, everything. Crickets. Wait, 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 whatever, whatever way, it's like I think I sent up some smoke signals at one exactly, point to try and right? get SOS away. signals. What is happening right now? And uh, eventually Friday morning, I wake up to a message and it says, hey, man, really sorry, but I couldn't get all the money. I was like, oh, man, how short are you? Like, like he goes, all of it. Like, oh, oh no! Crap. <laughs> it was Friday before a Monday morning closing, we got this deal because the broker um, believed that we could close. Right? No questions from them. We got a discount on it because we said we would close. We would close on time. So my reputation's on the line. I also have almost three hundred thousand dollars between earnest money, loan applications, due diligence into this deal that I'm going to lose if we don't close on time. My mortgage broker, you know, I said, "Yeah, man, money's good." So. He's not, he's not worried about it. I'm going to let him down. The lender who uh, had all the cash uh, lined up for a $20 million loan, we're bringing $4 million of it, $4 million in, of a $24 million total deal. And uh, never asked questions of sourcing on the, on the cash, right? And so I'm like, oh man, this is not good. So I got to go and raise $4 bucks over the course of the next 48 hours. And I just banged out phone calls. You know, I rolled my sleeves up. I could have rolled over. Could have keeled over and said, you know, I wanted to get in the fetal position and think, <laughs> woe is me, right? And and how terrible this is, and how could this happen to me? And you know, my life is, uh, it would happen to me. But yeah, it was yeah, a Friday yeah. morning. It was a early first week in June. The sun's shining. I'm in the backyard with my kids playing. They're happy. They're healthy. My wife's happy. You know, like, and I'm like, if this is the biggest problem I've got, I got a, I got a pretty good life, right? Yeah, to make, yeah, yeah, yeah. To yeah. Make it's like four million dollars. <laughs> on a deal that's going to be worth $40 million when we're all said and done, I'm going to make $15 million between me, my partners, my equity investors on this deal over the next 18 months. Like I can make this happen, right? That's not a, that's a, that's a good problem to have. And, uh, and so, man, I just, I just rolled up my sleeves, right? And when things like that happen and your back's against the wall, and like we said before, you either have to uh, succeed or you're going to die human beings have a tendency to push through and succeed. It's, it's, you just have to have that mindset of going, well, look, if this is, you know, it's like, look, it's Friday morning. It's, I got three days here and it's like, well, um, well, I guess I got, uh, you know, I got 72 hours to work my tail off. And, you know, if at the end of the 72 hours, if it'll either be there or it won't, but the one thing I can say is, is that I've spent as much of that 72 hours getting to that total. But like you said, it's, it's pretty amazing what you can actually accomplish when you, when, when you actually put the screws to yourself and go, all right, well, it's time to put up or shut up. hundred percent, man. So I banged out phone calls. I slept for about two and a half, three hours on that Friday night. Had a lot of seeds that were sown, right? What was, it was actually a blessing in disguise because it opened up so many doors. I reached out to so many people who didn't realize how I structured deals. They didn't realize 
excuse me, that I take on private investors. They didn't realize that there were opportunities like this available that they could get involved in. And it, it, and it opened me up to this world of private money and, and passive equity investors that um, has allowed it and made it so much easier to raise money on an ongoing basis. Uh, and I ended up, you know, contacting people who it was, I found out it was a lot about timing, right? A lot of people yeah. wanted to get involved, but they, they didn't have the cash, the liquidity. They needed a week, two weeks, a month to move the money around, or they had it tied up in a deal that was selling a month later, uh, whatever that was. And so, um, that's okay. Again, it sowed a lot of seeds. And what I found is the people that I had already done some deals with were the most inclined to pony up and, and get involved in the deal because they already built the trust. I already built the respect and uh, they knew I was good for it. They understood my character and um, people that I only did, you know, there was one guy I did maybe two, three deals with all under, like one was 150 grand. Another one was about 200 grand. Another one was like $40,000. I did three small deals with them on single family houses and he brought $1.5 million to that deal. One, one guy. And then all of a sudden somebody else brought 500 because that I already did some deals with. Somebody else um, came in for another uh, 400 that I already did some deals with. You know, and so all of a sudden it was like these little chunks of uh, that added up to a lot. And I had six people that came in, we raised the full $4 million. And uh, some of it was short-term money, some of it was long-term equity. And we were able to swap out the short-term money over the next couple of months. And um, as other people's you know, deals popped and they had the cash and I could, uh, make that happen. And so it was a, it was a big learning experience. Um, but again, some things that are, that seem like all consuming when you're going through it at the time are really, you know, they're tests and they're, and they're, uh, uh really massive opportunities yeah, that are going to open you up and make you stronger and create more opportunity in the future for you and amplify that. Um, uh, I, I wouldn't change it again right? Yeah, like yeah, going yeah. through it, you don't want to go through it, but it makes you so much stronger. It builds so much confidence. Um, I know that I can raise that much like, Hey, I'd had a deal in August of this year. I'd, um, we were $800,000 shy because the lender changed the loan term, the LTV at the last minute. I had to raise 800 grand the same day. You know, they told me that in the morning we had to close by 4 30 PM or whatever it was. And I was able to pick up the phone, make a couple phone calls, had somebody wire $800,000 over that same day within a few hours. Yeah, uh, I able to do that? If I didn't do that a year and a half ago, probably not. No, 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 because while well, you had your, your mindset was, your mindset changed that, look, $4 million in three days is doable and within my realm of, of possibilities. This mm -hmm. is, you know, I've done it. So once you get over that, you know, because, you know, for somebody else, 4 million in, in four days, it's like, you know, just, it, it, you know, meltdown. And it's like, I don't know how I'd be able to do it. But once you've, you know, once you had those screws and it's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure that pushed you to points and made you make phone calls that you may not have even ever made, but because you were in a, a point of, a point of being pushed where, you, you know, it's like, well, I don't have, you know, I don't have $4 million worth of commitments. I got to find that next number in my Rolodex and call that person and, you know, start this conversation again. And there, I'm pretty sure there's probably a couple people on that list that you called that you may never have even really called if it hadn't have been that desperate of a situation. And that 100%. Important. Yeah. You I mean, know, I'm talking dozens, maybe hundreds of people that have then come in as uh, private lenders in my system because 
or, or, or at least in, interested private lenders in my system because of that deal alone. And it just opened up so many doors and, uh, yeah, built a lot of relationships with people since then and done a lot of deals since then. And, um, like you said, it's the ultimate testimonial. If you can yep. see somebody else do it, Hey, if he did it, I can do it. Right. And yep. it builds that belief. I, if I did it once I could do it again. And that confidence is then conveyed knowing that if you did it once, you can do it again, you can accomplish it again. And, um, uh, absolutely. I mean, it's just, it's one of those things where that success breeds more confidence and then confidence breeds more success. Definitely. Definitely. And just that, that, that's the whole thing of, you know, uh, you know, just, it's that that thing of even even when you think you have it and you get that setback of you know it's like well when you get that setback you just have to look at it and you go okay well it's time to put the boots on it's time to go grab a shovel and it's time to get you know it's time to get busy it's like well this yep. you know this it's a setback but you know it's like you said there's there's no use crying and getting upset over it because crying and getting upset that doesn't you know that doesn't you know, that doesn't move the needle. It's like, well, I got to get busy and I got to move the needle. And you, you're, you're amazed at how resourceful you can get and how much effort you will put in and where you can actually go when you have no, when you have no other choices. It's like, well, you gotta, you know, it's, well, you can roll over or you can just, you know, buckle down and go to to it. And, you know, that's it, it. Like you said, it's just amazing what you can accomplish when you just go, well, I got to get it done. There mm-hmm. is no, you know, there is no other option. It's like, look, this is, it's up to me. And for me to get this done, this is what I got to do. And even if it's in a comfort, you know, pr- part of your comfort zone that you've never been to, it's like, well, it's growth time. <laughs> and then you, yep. you just, you, you just put, you know, put your head down and you just start attacking it and you you're, you're amazed. Like you said, you know, you're looking back a year and a half later gone. Wow. I really don't want to go through another hell week like that, but thank you for going through it because now I know that, well, it sucked, but I can get through that. And you know, your, your, your bar now for impossible is so much, so much further up, uh, you know, where, where, where impossible, you know, might've been before it's like, well, yeah, that bar is, uh, I can't even see the bar from here because, uh, if I can see what the goal is, we can get there, you know, or we're going to damn sure try to get there. And, you know, so, so, you know, we're, we're, we're just going to get there and do it, you know, just put that head down and, and just keep busting tail. hundred percent, man. I agree. Awesome. Awesome, man. Well, this one's uh, getting a little bit closer to the end of the show. I do like to ask all my guests, uh, what is your favorite way to give back? Oh, man. Um, I like giving back in a manner where I know the person I'm giving back to. Awesome. Um, I don't, I don't, you know, do I write checks? Some sign? Yeah, I, I write checks or donate to an online cause or something along those lines. Um, but I really like doing things that one are for children like that's, that's a soft spot for me. And then number two is where I can actually see the impact being made. You know, you hear these terrible stories about giving money to, uh, I don't know, I don't know, like wounded warriors, you know, and they say only, only 1% actually goes to wounded warriors. 99% goes to pay the salaries of those people. And I, I don't know if that's true or not, but you hear that stuff and you're like, I hope it's not true, but yeah, I want to yeah. make sure that, uh, what I donate actually is making an impact, is making a difference. And so, um, 
you know, I do, I do stuff like up here in Cleveland where I, I bought a, a suite to the Cavs playoffs last season uh, or two seasons, or I guess it was 2018, you know, and um, put it on Facebook. I said, Hey, who do you know who like is really deserving of going to the Cavs game? Diehard sports fan faced a lot of adversity, overcame that adversity, not only overcame it, but paid it forward somehow. Right. And yeah, how did definitely. they, how do, how do they make a difference and, and make an impact in other people's life and, and create that ripple effect? And um, I had, it got picked up by the news and all sorts of stuff. The, the radio station I, had, I was on um, had 500 people create submissions. And that's, that's cool. And it's in, in, in and of itself because you got 500 people who are thinking positive thoughts about other people in their life who, who deserve and, and care enough to actually put an email message together and send it to some stranger, right? So, like, it's cool in that aspect because there was a lot of good, just positive vibes out in the environment. Oh, definitely. Um, and then, and then you know, just the, the stories, like, they make you cry, right, of, of the crazy stuff that you hear. And there's one girl, and uh, I, so I, I grabbed five families, gave them each three, four tickets to go to the game and uh, stocked with food and, and uh, had the, the Cavs cheerleaders and stuff go up there with a the mascot and pass out a bunch of goodie bags and um, really, really cool experience. But, you know, there was, there's one girl whose older sister died of an accidental drug overdose. And, you know, this girl could have gone down a dark hole in, in her life and instead used that experience to go and publicly speak as a 14-year-old, 15-year-old girl about the dangers of drug use in across all these schools in Cleveland, Ohio. Like that is an unbelievable story. Uh, another guy lost his, lost his three-year-old daughter, which is like, my daughter was three at the time, you know, oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, she's four now and uh, lost his three-year-old daughter to a congenital heart defect. And instead of like, I can only imagine how dark of a time that must be. And he sees, you know, a light, in creating a nonprofit that supports families with kids with congenital heart defects and essentially helps them out with, you know, uh, psychological support and housing and food and, and if they're traveling, like whatever that looks like. Um, here's how good of a guy this guy is. I give him the tickets. He gives them to one of the families, right? <laughs> he, gives it, he gives it to a family of a kid who had eye cancer. The kid had his eyeball removed like two weeks prior, comes out to the game. He's a diehard, you know, um, basketball fan and it's just like pretty amazing pretty amazing so um i like i like doing stuff like that you yeah, know? yeah 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 especially I, I i like how i like how that is you know it's like look I, I just want to encourage other people who are doing good and being able to you know just paying it forward i love that i love that attitude and especially the way that you picked them it's like look I, i'm not going out there but you know that usually for somebody to take the time to write an email to suggest that somebody, you know, is deserving of this. It takes that individual, like you said, you know, not we're, we're, we're in such a, such a fast paced world that, you know, for somebody to take that time, you know, it, you, you've already, you know, every one of those 500 emails, that personal and other, you know, that they're writing about is a positive note. You know, it's like, look, this may not be the person that I end up being able to award these tickets to, but it's just such a, a, a an amazing thing of going, look, this is, this is all this positivity and, you know, look at all this good that's being done. And it just, you know, it's like, wow, I, now I know that these people are out here and it's like, you know, this is the stuff that I want to support. You know, these are mm -hmm. the real people who are, 
actually, you know, you know, putting rubber to the road and, and making the needle move. So that yep. is, uh, that is amazing. And I'm so thankful. I'm glad that you did that. That is amazing. Now, Tim, um, if any of my listeners want to get a hold of you, how, what's uh, what's the best way for them to get in contact with you? Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty active on social media. So if you want to connect with me on on Facebook, uh, I'm always putting out content, how I'm structuring deals, wealth building principles, like that kind of stuff. So friend me up on on Facebook. I'm pretty active there. I also have uh, Instagram, LinkedIn accounts, YouTube accounts. Um, and I, I do a little bit of coaching. I'm not like a guru, but I kind of help people scale into apartment buildings, whether they're passive investors or active operators. And they're trying to like get out of that transactional mode and really start building residual income. Uh, I just, I, I put on some courses, you know, uh, a few times a year, we have phenomenal reviews. Um, the, the results are off the charts. And so we're really, really proud of it, but that's called commercial empire. If anybody has interest on that, um, feel free to plug in, shoot me a message on there. Uh, go to commercialempire.com and um, would love to connect with you guys. Do some deals together. I do a lot of joint venture partnerships. So if you got deals you want to partner up on, you need sponsorship or money, like I have an investment firm. So we invest in a lot of, a lot of projects and stuff too with, uh, with different students and uh, different operators around the country. So um, I'm always looking for, uh, for opportunities. We're very growth oriented, but we're also very conservative in what we buy and making sure that we're buying the right deals and good deals, not just deals. You know? Yeah. 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 I was about to say, and, and good deals. That's, that's the key is uh, looking for good deals. <laughs> well, Tim, thank you so much for uh, hopping on here. I appreciate your time. And until next time, thank you, man. Thank you. Thank you for all the value and the content that you create, David. And I uh, appreciate you having me, buddy. Thank you so much. Thank you so much.